Um, we are going to finish our journey in chapter one of uh, Philippians. Um, there's a lot to really cover through this entire book, a lot of doctrine. We will be hitting some doc- more doctrine today. Um, if I was to exhaust this, um, you can't exhaust it. I'll say that. So uh, we, will, we will stick with uh, where God has taken us in this conversation. And then, again, we'll get to it another day. Um, but this is part two of the perseverance of the saints. And the importance of the perseverance of the saints is um, the reason why we should persevere. Okay? The reason why we, would, why we will persevere. And I want to thank the Lord for this amazing doctrine, the perseverance of the saints, that not only will we persevere when it's all said and done, we persevere every single day of our lives. So uh, he keeps us. Um, that being said, we're going to... I'm going to go back a little bit into verse 15. I'm going to read that so that when we get into verse, 18, verse 19, you kind of understand why um, it reads the way it reads. Okay, I'm not a real big fan of subtitles. Um, I get why they do it. It kind of gives you an idea of what, what possibly is being said. But it kind of takes, thing, takes away from really the continuance of, what, of the conversation that Paul's using here. Uh, you guys know already uh, we talked quite a bit about Philippians, and this is the one church Paul has nothing bad to say. He doesn't rebuke them for anything they've done wrong specifically. Um, he actually exhorts them, encourages them to continue. Uh, it's one of the things I love about um, this letter. And uh, you will hear today again, um, if God calls you to be a good Berean, study the word. He also calls you to be a good Philippian to preach the word. So uh, be a good Berean and a good Philippian. Okay? Uh, verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to, to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. What do you see? There's this constant, uh, clear message that Paul starts, not really starts, he's clarified throughout this entire chapter that the gospel is our purpose. The gospel is our mission. The gospel is what we focus on. I know it's going to bother you a little bit. I don't care. You're like, yeah, that's mean, pastor. No. There is no other purpose for your life besides gospel. Okay? As you guys know, uh, I, I don't like Rick Warren, to say the least. Why? Because there's no such thing as a purpose-driven life and a purpose-driven church. God does not have a particular purpose for you and a particular purpose for our church. Every church and every believer has a single purpose. What is your purpose? Gospel. That's your purpose. 
There is no other purpose. Now, there are things that we do, right, that we participate in, but the whole purpose of those things is the gospel. If you look at spiritual gifts, the purpose of spiritual gifts is the gospel. The whole purpose of our existence is to proclaim the goodness of God, the gospel. That is what we do. If we don't focus on that truth, then we will try to find other reasons to find, to, to find purpose in our lives. And people wonder why. Well, I can't figure out what my purpose is. That's because you don't like the purpose that you've been assigned. Instead of just doing the gospel. If you do the gospel, you're going to find joy, contentment, happiness, excitement. But pastor, you're, pre- you're, you're preaching every Sunday morning about the gospel. That's my purpose. Right? If you're a dental hygienist, it's gospel. Clean teeth with the gospel. You know what I mean? If, if you do other stuff, it's about the gospel. If you're a teacher, it's about the gospel. Every opportunity you have is about the gospel. You're like, you're a Jesus freak. That's the point. That's the point. And Paul clarifies this over and over again. So I have three principles that we're going to learn specifically through the rest of this chapter. Okay? First principle. Whether we live or we die, Christ is our ultimate prize. Christ is our ultimate prize. If If I live... I live for Christ, and, I, and he's my prize. If I die, I die to Christ. He's my prize. Either way, Christ is, the, Christ is the answer, right? Whether we live or we die, Christ is our ultimate prize. In life, all you should want and need is Christ Jesus. In death, all we will have is Christ Jesus if you know Christ. So if you're going to live, all that you should want and need In this life is him, and when you die, all you'll have is him. Because you won't need or want for anything at that point. What more do you need? We were like, well, I want more. If you want more, then Jesus isn't going to be enough for you. And this is what it says, Philippians chapter 1, verse 19 and 21. And yes, I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers... And the, help of the Holy, and the help of the Spirit of Christ, Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is, my eager expectation and hope, I will, I will, not, be all, I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Everybody knows this Bible verse. If you're a Christian, you've heard this. Probably have it on your desktop or somewhere in your house. For to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Though that is true, are we going to miss the point of why Paul gives this statement? We talk about to live is Christ and to die is gain. And then we read a book by, by a gentleman who tells you, now you have a different purpose. See, if we really focused on what God calls us to do, which is gospel, then to live as Christ and to die as gain is everything that Paul says it is. But if we're trying to find more, then you're going to miss the wonderful, beautiful, majestic God of all creation. So I want you guys to think about that. Is really living... 
to be alive, is it really Christ? And if I was to die, am I really going to gain? Or am I really trying to find something else? Second principle. In li- if in life, make the most of every opportunity for the sake of the gospel. All, we all have a ministry. It's called the ministry of the gospel. So give it away. Yes. There is no other, min- there is no other purpose for your life but the gospel. Whether you're going to work doing anything else, the whole purpose why you're there is for the sake of the gospel. That's your mission. We all have the same mission. There is no other mission given to man, given to mankind who belongs to the body of Christ than that one mission. We all have a ministry. That's called the ministry of reconciliation, called the gospel. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2 through 5 says this, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort, with complete patience and teaching, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, and having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Pretty clear. So not only does Paul clarify this in the reality of Timothy's life to the church in Ephesus, but he also deals with this in Philippians. What's amazing about the Philippian church is they understood what their purpose was. All of them were committed to this one purpose, this one goal. But we know, because we we live in the days that we live, there are all kinds of stuff going out there. All kinds of gospels. Philippians chapter 1, verse 22 through 26 says, If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I want you to think about that. Paul's saying, if if I'm to live in this body, then that means fruitful labor. Christ is gain. Which one, do, which one would I choose? I'm having a hard time with that. I'll be honest with you. Like, I think we all would say that. I mean, if I could be with Jesus now for all eternity, then I think I'm in with that, right? I mean, we would say that, I hope. And that's what Paul says here. I don't know what I would choose. I mean, I get Jesus or I get Jesus. Jesus' wonderful labor. Either way, I get Jesus. Verse 23, I am hard-pressed between the two. I want you to get get that. It's so, he's so torn between the two that he's like, you know what? One or the other would be great. My desire is to to depart and be with Christ. And that is far better. Why? Because he doesn't have to deal with sin. He doesn't have to deal with being persecuted. He doesn't have to deal with suffering. He doesn't have to deal with pain. He doesn't have to deal with any of that stuff. Along with all the other stuff that comes along with people. He won't have to deal with any of that. But then he says in verse 24, but to remain in the body, to remain in the flesh, is more necessary on your account. So if I was to stay, it's more important that I stay because it's necessary for you. And verse 25 says, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all. 
I will, I will finish the work that God has for me to do. And for your progress and joy in the faith. In other words, me, me staying is for your growth and for joy in the faith. I find joy in the faith because of you. So that in me, verse 26, you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. <clears throat> in other words, I'm going to stay around because I have a purpose to stay around. I'm going to give you the gospel. You notice he's giving the gospel to a church that's already been gospelized. Why? Because we should be reminding ourselves all the time of this wonderful gospel. It's important. It's our purpose. When you wake up, do you think about gospel as soon as you wake up? Is Christ on your mind when you wake up? Are you worried about all the other things happening? Have you reoriented, reoriented yourself to the purpose by which God has called you? Or are you reorient, reorienting yourself to another purpose? Principle number three, the highest motivating factor of all believers must be the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the one thing that should keep you going and get you going in the morning. Wake up, gospel. So I have three questions for you. This will help you to see if the motivating, highest motivating factor for you is the gospel. How are you living? Second question. How are you in Jesus? And then third, are you living in a manner worthy of the gospel or living a life of excuses and compromise? Well, that's for you, pastor, because you're a pastor. Nope. Listen, my responsibility to God is much higher than yours. But there's one thing that motivates me every single day. Jesus and his gospel. Nothing else matters. And that motivates my love for you. That motivates my love for others. That motivates why I do what I do. Gospel. And this is what he says in Philippians chapter, chapter 1, 27 through 30. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So I put some parentheses here. I want you to, I want you to hear this. Your life should only be lived in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. How do you conduct yourself? How are you living? Because you have a name by which you represent. I remember when I was a kid, um, my mom would say, you know, you know you carry my name. My dad would say the same thing. You carry, you're, you're a cane. Listen, cane don't mean jack. There's a name that I carry that's much, that has a high, much higher value than cane. And it's not Cain and Abel. Okay? It's Jesus. Jesus' name is on my life. And the gospel which he has given, the mission, the purpose of my life, that he has given to every believer is on my life. And how am I living? How am I representing him in my life? Am I living in a way that's just full of excuses and compromise? 
Or am I really living in a way that honors him and lifts him up and makes him known? Look what it says here. So that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. This is what he's saying to the Philippians along along with what he said to the Ephesian church. We have one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one spirit, one mission, one God. That's what he's saying here. We have churches all over the country who have their own gospel, their own Lord, with their own faith. Well, that's not my faith. I really don't care about your faith. I care about his faith. This is his gospel. It's not yours. That's what he calls it here. So that you will strive side by side for the faith of the gospel. It's his gospel. It's his faith. It's his church. I wonder how many times we really think about that. I have a tendency to think sometimes we don't because we're too wrapped up in our life living a life of excuses and compromise. Verse 28. And not frightened in anything by your opponents. So if I am standing in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by, by, by your opponents, this is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. So I want you to kind of get that. If we are committed as a church, as a people of God, to the attitude and the mind of the gospel, if we're committed to the one faith, the one gospel, and we're striving side by side, working side by side for the sake of the gospel, everyone who is an opponent of ours will fear. And they know that they're going to be destroyed. Why? Because we have salvation in Christ. And notice what he says in verse 28 but of your salvation and that salvation from God. There it is again. You can't outrun it. The doctrine of election is all throughout the scripture. You can't outrun it. He even clarifies it again. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. God has granted to you for the sake of himself, for the sake of Christ, that you should believe in him. He granted it to you. It's a privilege. And if it's a privilege to know him because he has made himself known to you, then why would we live in a way that contradicts that gospel? Verse 30, parentheses, here's what I want to say. The parentheses are my words. If we are living for him and we are suffering for his sake, 
engage in the same conflict, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. In other words, we are all engaged in the same conflict. We are at war. Have we really thought about that? That every day you wake up and you're at war. You're battling every single day. You're contending for the gospel. You're fighting for the gospel every single day. Where does the war start? It starts with you. Why do I do the things I do not want to do? But the things that I hate doing, I keep on doing. So guess what? You're literally at war with yourself every single day you wake up. Every single day you're at battle. Why am I doing this stuff? I don't want to do this stuff. And what do you continue to do? The same stuff. So you're at war with, you, with yourself. Not only are you at war with yourself, you're at war with the culture. Just because there's wars happening overseas doesn't mean there's not a real war happening in your life right now. All of us are at war. Just because you sit at home, you're able to make, in a cold day, make some, some uh, grilled cheese with tomatoes, have a bowl of soup. That doesn't mean you're not at war. If we wake up and we go out into the day, we realize, you know what, I need to gird myself today. I need to be ready for battle today. Something's going to happen today that I need to be ready for. That's a war mentality. Have we really thought about this? You're at war with false doctrine. You're at war with culture. You're at war with yourself. You're at war with, with, the, with, with politics. You're at war with everything that's contrary to God. And that's why Paul says in verse 30, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had. If you are a contender for the gospel, you will be at conflict. It will be a battle. How important is that conflict? You see, if my highest motivating factor is the gospel and the most and i take the most of every opportunity for the sake of the gospel whether i live or die christ is my ultimate prize i'm willing to go to battle every single day we're at war Everyone else knows they're at war with you. You experience it every day. And we sit behind our televisions and we go, well, see, there. And you point out all the things that the culture's doing, and you're angry and you're frustrated. They're at war and they're winning the war. Do you know why? Because they understand their mission. And the world culture does the same mission all the time. They're one spirit and they're one mind. That's to destroy Christian value. Let's be honest. 
We're losing the battle. Why? Because we got churches creating their own gospel and creating their own God and creating their own doctrine. Because they don't like the gospel and they don't like the God and they don't like the doctrine that God has. They want their own doctrine, their own ways, and their own things, and their own ideas. I can do it better. And that's what Paul's reminding the church of Philippi. Continue to contend. Continue to fight. Continue to be at war. Continue in the gospel. That's the point. I want to close with this last statement. Turn to Revelation. And this is what Jesus reminds the church in Ephesus. It's interesting when you read Revelation chapter 2. You have the church of Ephesus, the church of Smyrna, the church of Pergamum, the church of Thyatira, the church of Sardis, the church of Philadelphia, and the church of the Laodiceans. Guess who's not mentioned in this list? Philippi. See, everybody looks, oh, there's the seven churches. But Philippi still existed. Do we forget that? Why aren't they mentioned in this list? Because they had no issues. Not that they're perfect. Look what it says to the church of Ephesus. The reason why I picked Ephesus to share this with you is because it's the same kind of message that Paul gives the church of Ephesus as he gives to Philippi. But church of Ephesus, it's a rebuke. Church of Philippi, it's an exhortation. It says, to the angel of the church, to the pastor of the church of Ephesus. That's what that word angel means, messenger. To the messenger of the church in Ephesus. The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand. Who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance. And how you cannot bear with those who are evil. But have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not. And found them to be false. We can assume. First of all, this is Timothy, the church that Timothy was overseeing. He did a pretty decent job getting these people to this point. But there's one thing that's missing here. I want you to see this. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake and have not grown weary but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. <coughs> Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. What did they... What have they stopped loving? I'm sure there, I know when I first came across this and I, I was, I was, I kept having this idea that I had, I had left Jesus. I hadn't loved Jesus. And so I, I had this idea that I had to go back and do all the things I was supposed to do as a believer in order to fall in love with Jesus more. You know what they are, right? Prayer and studying the Bible and you get this list of do's. But that's not what Jesus is saying here. 
What was the first thing you fell in love with? When you came face to face with the living God, the Holy Spirit, not literally face to face. <coughs> what did you fall in love with about Jesus? Was it him? Did you love Jesus? No, it wasn't Jesus. See, if, if you really look at Jesus, you would not want to love him at all. Because he's an approach to me in the condition of, that I was before I came to the realization of who he is. You know what I fell in love with? His gospel. I fell in love with the story. I fell in love with this amazing, why would this man die on a cross, was buried and rose again? And how did I come to love the gospel? The Holy Spirit. And what happened when I came to love the gospel? The Spirit came and dwelt in me. And he illuminated me to the truth of this wonderful gospel. And my response to that wonderful gospel was to surrender my life to this king. And the only way I can understand that wonderful gospel is that the Holy Spirit had to be present for me to understand this wonderful gospel. It's the gospel. And that's what he says to the church of Ephesus. You left the gospel. You left the thing you loved at first. And do you remember what happened when you first came to Christ? What did you do? You went and told people. Shouted from the mountaintops. You went and told people. It's the first thing you're going to do. Jesus is Lord. You need to know this Jesus. You want an example of that from, from Scripture? The woman at the well. Did she say a prayer? Did she say, Lord Jesus, I know, I know I'm a sinner and I know you died on the cross for me, man. And we, if you would, could you would, if you would, would you forgive me? No. She came face to face with the living God and ran to the city and told the people, come and see this man who told me all about my life. A prayer don't save you. God saves you. And your only response to an awesome and living and loving God is to proclaim him to everyone that, come, that you come in contact with. That is, your, that is your responsibility. That's what he's telling the church of Philippi. Contend for the gospel. Keep the gospel. Fight for the gospel. We are struggling together for the gospel. That's all he keeps saying in chapter 1. Perseverance in the gospel. The doctrine of the perseverance of the saints is not just that God, per, God perseveres us when he returns, he perseveres us every single day in the gospel and in Christ. Isn't that an amazing thought? Every day, you're persevering in Christ. Okay? Father, I want to thank you so much for your faithfulness and goodness. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for this wonderful gospel. Help us to love you supremely for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.